And um, because of the extra special challenges they've had this afternoon. I can just speak loudly too, <laughs> if that helps. In fact, I'll just start doing that. You know, we're, we're getting close to the end of 2021, of course, and um, I don't know about you, but the farther away 2020 becomes in our rearview mirror, maybe the better. 2020 was a difficult year for so many people. It seemed like the bad news just rolled in day after day like waves at the seashore. So actor John Krasinski decided to do something about it in 2020. John is an actor who became famous for his leading role in the TV show called The Office. And he, like everyone else, was locked down in his house in New York City, for him at least, during the pandemic. And so he decided to launch his own web series on YouTube called Some Good News. Every week he broadcast from his house, I think it was his study in his house, wasn't a fancy set. He had a sign hanging on the wall, it looked like his kids had made it, SGN, Some Good News. And the content for his newscast was only good news. So people began writing into him to tell him, them, him about the good news that they saw going on around them. That good news was different than the news that you find on maybe your favorite news website or the evening news if you watch television. This was news, good news, mind you, about everyday people and the kind things that they were doing for one another in a difficult year. It was simple things, things that a neighbor did for a neighbor down the street, things that a coworker did for another coworker. People who were not famous were mentioned on his show regularly. It didn't have to be worth millions of dollars, what they did, or involve hundreds of people. It just had to be good news. Stories about people being kind to one another, helping people less fortunate than themselves. And of course, this show, Some Good News, skyrocketed in popularity. Millions of people began to tune into it on YouTube every week. Other actors, sports stars, they all wanted to come and be guests on Some Good News. It snowballed into something that he least expected. Kindness, simple kindness that one person shows to another person is almost universally appreciated and applauded. The story of Ruth is in part a story about great acts of kindness for the most vulnerable, and yet these are acts of kindness carried out by people that we would never know about if their names weren't inscribed in the Bible. But the story of Ruth is in the Bible, and so it points beyond the human kindness that we read about in the book of Ruth 
to the kindness of the God who made us in His image. Kindness, the Lord's kindness, far outshines any acts of kindness that we see among people like ourselves. His kindness is the ultimate kindness shown to sinners like us. And it's what our text points us to this afternoon. Last week we saw in the first chapter of the book of Ruth how one family had moved away from God's promised land due to a famine in the land. For ten years they lived in the idolatrous country of Moab. They may have had food to eat there, but they experienced devastating loss nonetheless. The husband in the family and the two sons died, leaving three poor widows without provision and protection in their lives. And in the midst of that loss, there came a surprising decision, the surprising decision of the young Moabite widow, Ruth, to leave her country and her family and any hopes of future marriage back in Moab and to pledge her allegiance to the God of Israel and therefore to travel back to the land of God's promise with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Her costly decision to trust in the true God led her to cling to Naomi rather than flee to Moab. Ruth was a faithful friend in the midst of dark times for Naomi. But Naomi couldn't see it in chapter 1. She knows that the Lord is guiding her life, but she only sees His hand as being harsh. And yet, as the pair of widows arrived back in Bethlehem, which is where Naomi was from, the harvest had begun. The harvest is a blessing from the Lord for His people. The harvest is a kindness from God. Open your Bibles with me to Ruth. It's in the Old Testament. It is the eighth book in your Bible. Eighth book in your Bible. After the Pentateuch, the first five books you've got, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. And if you flip too fast, you might miss it. We're in chapter 2, and I'm going to do just like I did last week, and I'm going to read through chapter 2 section by section. There'll be three sections that we read. We're reading verses 1 through 7. Follow along with me as I read. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. And so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came and she has continued from early morning until now except except for a short rest. 
There are three points to the sermon this afternoon, and this first section is a worthy reputation, a worthy reputation. In the very first verse, we're introduced to Boaz. He's a relative of Naomi's husband who's died, and more importantly, he's a worthy man, it says. Other places where this phrase is used in the Bible, it's translated a man of valor, a mighty man, a man of noble character even. Boaz is someone that people admire, and it's for all the right reasons. But Ruth is beginning to demonstrate a worthy reputation as well. I hope you notice that in this passage. In verse 2, she proposes to Naomi that she go and glean in the grain fields for she and her mother-in-law. And you'll remember that I mentioned last week that widowed women were particularly vulnerable in a society where men in the family were largely responsible for providing and protecting the women of the family. When Ruth says she wants to go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, she's proposing that she go out into the fields, the grain fields, while the harvesters, or they're called reapers here, are out there, and for her to gather the leftover stalks of grain that are on the edge of the field so that she and Naomi can have a little bit of food to sustain them. The Lord had commanded His people, the Israelites, in Leviticus 19.9, that they should leave some of their field for the poor people in the community. So it says in Leviticus 19.9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. He's saying, don't pick your field clean, leave some. Leave some for the poor people. He says in Deuteronomy 24.19, and when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. These commandments were given so that the poor people of a community could have some work to do in order to get some food for themselves, even if it was a little. And so Ruth left and eventually found herself gleaning in the field that belonged to Boaz. And behold, it says, uh, the author wants us to take notice. This is amazing. Boaz arrives in the field. He's come from Bethlehem. And he greets his workers in the covenant name of God. The Lord be with you, he says. And they reply in kind. Now, the author wouldn't include that detail if he didn't want us to see it as evidence of Boaz's good character. He's already told us he's a worthy man, and so the author's proving it with these little details. Immediately, Boaz notices Ruth. She's new there in the fields, and she's a foreigner. She would have stood out. Even his servant's report about Ruth tells us that she's gaining a worthy reputation herself there in Bethlehem. People in town seem to know who she is. She's from Moab. She returned with Naomi. And Ruth even is supposed to have politely asked permission to glean in the field. And what's more, she's worked hard from early morning. Ruth takes initiative Ruth is humble. Ruth 
is industrious. How we live our lives from Saturday through Thursday will help or hinder our witness to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Boaz and Ruth were both recognized as having a worthy reputation, good character. In fact, in chapter 3, she'll be called a worthy woman. What would the people in your workplace say is your reputation? Now, I'm not asking if they like you. That's a different question. Sometimes good character in a person can arouse anger from people who resent it for some reason. I'm asking, do they see godly characteristics in you like truthfulness and trustworthiness, humility, kindness? Good character also isn't the same as evangelism. Maybe it paves the way for evangelism, but no one can become a Christian just from seeing good character in you or me. They must hear and believe the gospel message for that to happen. But if we publicly claim Jesus as our Lord and then demonstrate bad character and worldly lives, it can discourage those around us from looking into the Christian faith, from taking the Christian faith seriously. That's why Paul tells the Ephesian church in the New Testament, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And Paul also writes to Titus, telling him to encourage godly character, which shows up in actions and deeds, the reason for which is, he says, so that in everything we may adorn the doctrine of the God, of God our Savior. When he says adorn, he means bring out the beauty of the gospel by our actions. Worthy character and godly lives decorates the gospel, so to speak. It, it brings out its beauty. It highlights it. Everyone has a reputation. What does yours say about the Lord Jesus that you claim as your master? Now, Boaz had notice Ruth in the fields, and so now he addresses her directly. So follow along with me as I read verses 8 through 17. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. 
And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat down beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when he rose to glean, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. The second point this afternoon is overflowing reward, overflowing reward. Boaz speaks directly to Ruth, and his good character begins to shine brighter and brighter and brighter, and so does hers for that matter. This whole section is a very touching picture of kindness after kindness after kindness being shown to Ruth. It's, it's like it won't stop. Boaz just keeps giving, keeps protecting, keeps providing more and more and more. In verses 8 and 9, he tells her to stay in his field to follow his harvesters. He's commanded his men not to touch her. Remember, this is the time of the judges. Sin was rampant in society. Sexual sin was all too common. And young women without a male protector would be vulnerable to assault at any time. He's also offered her water from his supply when she's thirsty. Now, Ruth is stunned. She went into the fields looking to find favor with someone, and now she has it with Boaz, and so she bows down, humbled by his kindness shown to a foreign woman. At meal for now, let's pass over verses 11 through 13, and we see there then in 14 and beyond, the kindness of Boaz just keeps coming. At mealtime, he offers her some of his bread and wine, and she eats till she's satisfied, and she has even some left over to take home with her. And his kindness and generosity becomes then almost comical. In the afternoon, he tells his harvesters, to let her glean, not on the edges of the field, but up into the, the middle part of the field where they had the right to harvest the good stuff. And he told them even to pull out some of what they harvested and just drop it on the ground for her. Let her pick it up. At the end of the day, Ruth had what it says is an ephah of barley. That's more than 25 kilograms almost more than she could have carried home herself. Ruth took a risk to go looking for a little, and through Boaz's overflowing kindness, she has come home with more than she could have imagined. It never gets old to witness someone showing overflowing generosity to anyone, especially someone who's most vulnerable. How do you treat the vulnerable that you encounter in life? Are you on the lookout for those who are disadvantaged around you? When you read this passage, you get the idea that the overflowing kindness that Boaz showed Ruth was just a normal way of life for him. Is that what characterizes our community as a church together? overflowing generosity, looking for the vulnerable to help? I think it is in large part. I see many of you looking out for the vulnerable around us. 
You don't look for fanfare or to be noted for it. But I see many of you doing that. Praise God. Praise God for His work in you. But even in that, I'm sure there's room for growth in us. Could the Lord shape our hearts to be even more generous and kind? Let's ask Him to work in us even more godliness and generosity, especially towards the vulnerable. But we can't leave this passage without considering this important reply that Boaz says to Ruth in verses 11 and 12. Look there with me. Ruth is amazed that Boaz is treating her with such kindness, especially given that she's a foreigner. She's not an Israelite. Look what he says in 11 and on into 12. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz sees and knows all that Ruth has done for Naomi, and he knows that she's stayed with Naomi at great cost to herself. She's left her parents. She's left her home country and she's left her people to come to Israel. But why did she do it? Did she do it for the reward? Did she do it expecting to be rewarded for her efforts to take care of Naomi? Because first and foremost, she's come to take refuge under the wings of the Lord, the God of Israel. Maybe you're asking the question, was Ruth blessed with this overflowing reward because she helped her mother-in-law? Was she earning the grace that was to be shown to her? Did God owe that to her? Did she deserve it? I think the answer is a strong no. And I think Ruth would agree. Consider Ruth's response in verses 10 and 13. She's blown away by Boaz's kindness. It's unexpected by her. And she doesn't say, well, it's about time somebody recognized all that I've done for my mother-in-law. Boaz recognizes that all of his kindness to her is really the Lord's kindness to her because she's sought refuge under the wings of the Lord. He's like a great protective eagle, and she's become the vulnerable yet trusting eaglet under his wing. The overflowing blessings of reward that she receives through Boaz aren't a reward for her works. They are a reward for her faith. And faith doesn't boast about its own strength or its own power or what is owed to it. It boasts only in whom the faith is placed. Psalm 57.1 says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. You see, there's mercy under the protective wings of the Lord, but it's not a reward that's earned just because you took refuge there. Someone who takes refuge is weak and empty and unable to help themselves. John Piper says it this way, we see that the way the Lord works is to bless those who hope in His work for them, not their work for Him. 
Let me say that again. We see that the way the Lord works is to bless those who hope in His work works for them and not their work for Him. Now, the Beatitudes, for example, that Vicki read to us earlier in the service are not the way to get blessings. Blessing isn't earned, not in the kingdom of God. The Beatitudes don't teach, be mournful so that you'll be comforted, or be merciful so that you can receive mercy. That's not what they teach. Instead, they describe the character of someone who has already trusted in the Lord, someone who has recognized that they don't deserve anything from God. This is how the gospel works, brothers and sisters. Yes, there is a reward in Jesus Christ. Even at the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus said, great will be your reward in heaven. There is reward there. But it's not a reward that He's obligated to give to us because we were so good or faithful or kind or we had such good intentions in life. No. If, if you imagine yourself standing before Christ and you're arguing your case, laying out all the good things that you did and why He should grant you forgiveness for the few bad things that you did and give you credit for all the good things and the good intentions, then you've missed the point. Now, the bad news is that there is nothing in our lives prior to knowing Christ, prior to being filled with the Spirit, that's not tainted by sin, not touched by sin and unbelief. Sin-stained works deserve nothing but condemnation before God. The good news, though, is that sinners can flee to Christ because in Him there is a refuge and reward totally undeserved, totally unearned. If you're busy holding on to your good deeds to show to Christ, you will not be able to open your hands to receive all that He has to give. What you and I have are like filthy rags, and what Christ offers is an unmeasurable inheritance, more precious than silver or gold, a heavenly reward. Boaz recognized that the Lord was the one rewarding Ruth for her faith in Him, and so did Naomi. And so follow along with me as I read verses 18 to 23. 17, excuse me. 18. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to 
Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. And so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The third point this afternoon is a gracious Redeemer, a gracious Redeemer. Ruth brought home a bountiful supply of food, and Naomi was able to benefit from Boaz's kindness as well. And it was obvious to Naomi that someone had blessed Ruth beyond what normal gleaning would have produced. And she wanted to know who it was that took notice of Ruth. Of course, it was Boaz. Look at Naomi's response in verse 20 to hearing that it was Boaz. She says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Who is the one that Naomi's talking about? Is it Boaz or is it the Lord? It's the Lord. She recognizes that the Lord is blessing them through Boaz. The Lord is who has shown them kindness. What's more, she announces that Boaz is a redeemer in the clan of her deceased husband, Elimelech. Boaz is one of a number of men in whom have a covenant obligation to look after Elimelech's family were they to die. We touched on it last week in chapter 1. If Elimelech and his sons died, then a redeemer from the same clan was obligated to provide for the widows, perhaps even marry them to preserve the family name by guaranteeing descendants for the family. Now, Naomi and Ruth have returned to the promised land of the Lord empty-handed and poor. And there, in the Lord's providentially guiding hands, they've discovered a Redeemer, a worthy man of noble character, a man of kindness and overflowing blessing, a man who believes in the Lord as his own refuge and reward. Naomi instructs Ruth to remain in his fields and stay close to him till the end of the harvest season. Do you remember how Ruth clung to Naomi in chapter 1, and now Ruth is to cling to or stay close to Boaz? I don't think the author's making a mistake in using that kind of terminology. But the last line leaves us hanging. It says she lived with her mother-in-law. Boaz has been gracious, but the harvest is just about over, and Naomi and Ruth's situation is still unstable. There's no guarantee that they'll continue to be taken care of by Boaz or any other man for that matter. The story is yet to resolve, and we'll find out more next week as, of course, we're only halfway through the book. But today, I've encouraged you to consider what your reputation is and whether it reflects the worthiness of the Lord. I've asked whether you notice and serve the most vulnerable around you and whether we as a church community do that together. I've suggested that we gain a reward of forgiveness and eternal life when we trust in Christ rather than demand a reward for our good works. And we see now at the end of the passage that Boaz is not only gracious, but he's a redeemer. 
He's the means by which the Lord is pouring out His lavish kindness on Ruth and Naomi. And the Lord often showers us with His blessings through people, doesn't He? Sometimes through non-believers even, oftentimes through fellow believers. But considering Boaz as a gracious Redeemer, we have to look even higher, farther up and farther into the story of the whole Bible to see that the person that the Lord has sent into the world through whom He's blessing anyone who trusts in Him, the gracious Redeemer that we have in Jesus Christ. When you think of Boaz, think even more about Christ. He is the man who, was, who has the most worthy reputation. He is the man who offers the greatest reward and blessing. Jesus is the God-man who left the glories of heaven and took on flesh and lived in this sin-stained world, but never sinned Himself. He and his, his greatest act of kindness was to offer Himself as a sacrifice of atonement for our sin. Our greatest need isn't money or food or shelter. Our greatest need is the righteousness without which no one will ever see God. When Jesus suffered and died on the cross, He was taking our shame in order to grant us honor that was rightfully His. He was taking our punishment in order to grant us the reward that He has. He became poor so that we might become rich. And His kindness, His kindness is never exhausted, brothers and sisters. It just keeps coming. If you know Jesus, there's more grace in Him than there is sin in you. Just as Boaz delighted to bless Ruth, our Jesus delights to bless us over and over and over again. Jesus doesn't just allow us to glean in the leftovers of the harvest in His fields. He actually brings us in and seats us at the banqueting table in His Father's house. This is the same Jesus who said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Dane Ortland says in his book, Gentle and Lowly, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come to Jesus. We can even say it's our very poverty that arouses the outpouring of His kindnesses to us. He recognizes our weakness and comes to strengthen us. He recognizes our sin and grants us righteousness that's not our own. He sees what we lack and He supplies what's needed. There is no one no one more ready to grant an undeserved reward to anyone who trusts in Him than our great Redeemer, Jesus. Have you considered Him? Have you perhaps forgotten Him? Brothers and sisters in Christ, has your heart swelled with gratitude and awe lately by His limitless grace and covenant faithfulness? If you're not a Christian, why won't you put your trust in Him? 
Boaz was the man through whom the Lord was giving overflowing food and protection to Ruth and Naomi. Jesus Christ is the God-man through whom the Lord is giving overflowing heavenly reward to anyone who trusts in Him. Won't you keep close to Jesus by faith? Won't you cling to Him? Repenting sinners can only find favor in His eyes. Let's go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise You that You don't take, You only give. We praise You that You are so kind to us, and Your greatest kindness was to send Jesus into the world that we might have our sin forgiven and might come to know You and one day see You face to face. Lord, we praise You that You sent Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, into the world for our salvation. Help us revel in Him. Help us stand in awe of Him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.